Now, good morning, everybody. Great to see all of you here today. We want to thank you for coming to join us. And next, there's some coffee, if you're interested, a little bit of cake from that uh, party celebration slash church banquet in disguise last night. But uh, it's great to see all of you here today. And um, I'm looking forward to what God has in store for us. I want, to, uh, I want to introduce one of my favorite people on the planet. Um, I don't know if y'all picked up on this or not, but Nathan Henson and I kind of get each other. Um, we, we understand each other a little bit. Um, Nathan is one of those people that, uh, that I can relax around and be real with because he doesn't judge me whenever my carnality comes out. And uh, I really appreciate that about him. And it seems like it comes out quite a bit whenever <laughs> around Nathan. <clears throat> yeah, but um, I've come to recognize uh, Nathan as a as a very valuable um, friend in that he's a he's a wonderful sounding board for me. Nathan has a unique way of challenging your thinking, and he's very diplomatic in the way that he does it. And I always know that I'm being stupid whenever Nathan starts asking me questions like. Well, is there maybe a better way to go about that? And um, he, I always appreciate his wisdom. What Nathan will not say uh, or claim to be that I will tell you is that he is a communicator. Um, he, is, uh, he is a communicator. He can, uh, he can drop truth bombs in the middle of seeming very diplomatic and unassuming. And I appreciate that about him. I've always enjoyed his teaching and his thought process, and I'm looking forward to hearing what he has to say to us today. So would you please welcome my friend Nathan Henson to the stage here and next, and open your hearts to what he has to say today. Thanks, Jason. I, uh, I appreciate that, especially the, the few of those things that were true. Um, the, I, I, I had some nice things to, to say about Jason as well, actually, not to sort of make this a you know, Nate and Jason, uh, I guess, heart-to-heart moment here, so to speak, but uh, I, uh, I, got some, I got some things I'll get to in, 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 just, a, in just a second, but uh, Jason challenges me as well, and I think, he, and I think you would all probably say the same. Uh, he, he not only brings us, you know, quality content here on a, on a weekly basis, um, but he also, he also challenges us to um, be different than the way we are and to progress in how we are. Um, so thank you for that. Um, I just want to sort of sort of level set here before we get going and, and say for those of you that were at the celebration last night, um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you had to be subjected to that video. Um, I, I'm either sorry or I either want to say I'm sorry or you're welcome. Uh, if you want Jason or I to sign some autographs, we can sort of make some time available here around the front. Um, but it, it was, I feel like I say this every time uh, when I get up here and I don't teach a whole lot, but it's, it was a crazy week. And I feel like I say that every time, but this week was especially crazy, right? Between the, the, uh, all the Pastor 25th stuff, we had to figure out about Yanny versus Laurel this week. Um, there was a British wedding, I mean, le- which occupied a ton of time, more than it should at our, at our household. There was just, there was just a lot, a lot going on, right? Um, but I'm thankful for a new start and thankful for a, for a Sunday that we, can, um, that we can have that new start and thankful to be here today. Who, is anyone enjoying our serve theme for the year? Anyone enjoying that, learning, learning a lot? 
we've so we, we've painted some pretty broad strokes with that right on that on that theme um, and, we, and we've hit it from a few different angles and a, and a few different topics and it, I know you know for all of you I know you you probably have graduate level degrees in serving at this point uh, but I can say for me I don't feel that way and I don't feel like I'm I'm there I, feel, I still feel like I have a lot to learn and it's and it's kind of funny I was uh, when we were studying relationships last year uh, you know I felt like you know J Jason asked me to speak um, you know, I felt like God was, was really sort of impressing on me at that point. He's like, well, just take a step back, and I really want you to start at the basics of relationship. I want you to, I want you to start with love, because that's the, the foundation of everything, everything that we do in terms of a relationship. And so, you know, when he asked me to speak, uh, you, know, uh, you know, today around, around, uh, around serving, you know, I began studying and sort of praying about um, what I wanted to speak about and what to do. And <laughs> I felt like God sort of telling me again, he's like, look, I want you to take a step back on this serving thing and kind of start from, start from the beginning. And so I don't know, maybe God's just trying to impress upon me that, I, you know, I'm not as deep as where I think I need to be or as far along as where I need to be. You know, I'd love to tell you that I have some deep theological revelation about the next level of serving for you or for me. But today, that's not really the case. Today, I want, I want to go back to the, to the basics of serving. Why do we do it? Why do you do it? Why do I do it? We, you know, we do it because we're called to do it and because we're supposed to do it, but it's, it's more than that, right? There's all kinds of things that I'm supposed to do that I, that I don't do. How many of you floss every single day because that's what you're supposed to do, right? Right? Yeah, I don't. So it's, it, <laughs> it's deeper than that. There's, so why do we serve? Why, why do we do it? You know, wh whether, whether you're talking about just starting out and serving God for the first time, or you're a little bit further in your spiritual journey, and now you're looking, I'm going I'm to extend that love outward, and I'm going to start serving others. Either way, it, it starts in the same place. It starts with the heart. And you know, you'll find we focus on that word and, and, and that thing a lot around here. If you go through our infused process to serve in a, in a ministry capacity at the, at the church, you'll find you have to take these heart classes. And you may wonder why, you know, these, the, you know, you know wh why you have to do that, because it's, 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 it's quite a few steps. And, uh, you know, you'll, you'll find that it's, it, you know, there's, those aren't just designed as classes to fill up our schedules. A heart's critical, and it's foundational before you can even begin the serving process and what God's going to do for you. And, and BT, my understanding about a foundation, you can correct me, but, I, you know, is that it's critical to the success of whatever you're building. And I think we would all, we would all agree with that. But it, but it means you're not just building on top of what's existing but that sometimes you have to dig out that existing soil and replace that with something that's more aligned with the structure that you're trying to build. And then you've got to put some stress on that, right? You've got, you've got, to, you've got to compress it and compact it, and you've got to make sure that it's the right size to fit that thing that you're going to build and make sure it's appropriate. And then, you know, and that it supports the weight of the load that it's gonna, that's going to come later. And I'm sure I'll probably mess some of the nuances of that up, and BT can clean that up next week when, when he talks. Um, but, but serving starts with us, right? And not just with us, it starts within us. And it starts with our disposition, with our convictions, with our desires, and it starts with what we love. Simply put, it starts with our heart. It's the core and the foundation of who you are. In, in Philippians uh, 2.13, it says, Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you, and now I am away. It is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. So Paul's saying, you've been saved. Now act like it. Show the fruit. It says, obeying God with deep reverence and fear, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. And that's my, that's my desire, and, and hopefully that's your desire, to please him. 
If his spirit's in you, that means he's given you and he's given I, that, and given you and I both that desire and that power to do that. See, it's not just enough that we have love. We have to show love. We, ha- we have to show love. We have to be the hands and feet. And that's what serving's about. It starts with our heart. So that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about uh, four attributes of a heart that's healthy and then dive into four habits that we can develop to make sure that it stays that way. And for you math majors in the room, I know you're like, that's eight things and 40 minutes, and that's, that's a lot of things to get through. So I'm going to try to cruise, and uh, hopefully we're going we're gonna to make it happen. So the first attribute of a healthy heart, a healthy heart is vital. It's important. Uh, in the physical sense, you can tell a lot from a person just by looking at their heart. If, uh, according to the American Heart Association, if you look at someone's heart rate, you can tell if someone's not active enough, if they're sleep deprived, if they're stressed, if they're dehydrated, or if they're developing a medical condition. So you didn't want to look at my heart rate this week. I think I, was, I displayed all of those things, certainly some kind of stress and maybe a medical condition. But similarly in the spiritual sense, you can tell a lot uh, uh, for a person, a lot about a person just by looking at their heart. You know, our attitude, our giving, our happiness, our willingness to serve, that's all based on the condition of our heart. And a healthy heart is evident. We display the fruits of a healthy heart, and it's easy to see that sometimes. But what's even more evident, I think, is the fruit of a not healthy heart. And whenever we have something out of alignment, I think that's a little, uh, we, we tend to show that a little bit more. Because li- life has a way of tossing circumstances our way that reveal our true nature, right? Confrontation reveals the condition of the heart. Does anyone, anyone ever hit your finger with a hammer? Anyone ever, you know, how about that coworker who accused you of something you didn't do? Or how about the, the person who took credit for something that you did? How about that argument with a spouse? Anyone ever, ever had a condition of their heart come out in one of those moments you weren't particularly proud of? Or if you're like me, you're thinking, ever? How about, like, how many times this week, maybe, did, did I have that happen, right? But that's not my desire. My, my desire is for a healthy heart, a, you know, a clean heart. And a clean heart is pure. And when I started sort of thinking through, you know, what, how would I sort of categorize or, or, or sort of, you know, um, how would I describe a, a pure heart? And a clean heart, I couldn't help but sort of draw the parallel to, you know, a, like a young child. And, and, and when we're made new from God, it's almost like he starts us over, right? He resets us. And if you think about the heart of a young child, what do they, what do they, what do, they do? They enjoy life, right? They enjoy all of it, all of life. They, you know, there's no bills. There's no stress that weighs them down. There's no arguments. There's no, you know, they, they, there's no offense. They don't get offended. They don't, you know, look at you know, gender, political beliefs, race, none of that matters to them. They, they don't get offended or get upset about any of that stuff, right? They just live, like, they're relatively obedient, right? Relatively till I guess, you get a little bit older and start taking the iPad away. Um, but a, a pure, clean heart in us is much the same way. We're happy. You just see life differently. You just act differently and do things a little bit differently and with a little more joy. And we're going to read a verse in a minute that, that, uh, that you're familiar with. It talks about creating a clean heart. And that, that's, that's what I want. I want him to create a clean heart in me and make me willing to obey him and give me that desire to do his will, like the verse said earlier. So it's vital. Uh, a, a healthy heart's vital. Number two, second attribute, a healthy heart requires upkeep. When we're saved, like I said, we start fresh, right? We start over. Anyone ever bought a new car? And remember that, remember, remember that new car smell? 
I'm talking about before it gets like the sweat and the Cheerios and the fast food and all that stuff. It just got that, that really, that really nice smell, right? What about your house? Anybody remember walking through it before you bought it or when you're thinking about buying it or you're looking around and uh, looking around how, how perfect everything was? I can't really relate to that right now, but for this example, I'm, I'm trying to use it. Um, but to keep it that way, right, it requires upkeep, right? It doesn't, it doesn't stay in that condition because that, that door is going to slam open and, and it's going to put that doorknob hole in the wall. That's just, that's the worst, just the worst when that happens. Or that gutter is going to start leaking and you're going to have some kind of soffit issue or the window wasn't sealed properly. Now we have a warped baseboard. For the house to function how it's supposed to, how it's supposed to function, and to stay in the condition that it was intended to be in, it requires some work. It doesn't just stay that way. It doesn't just, doesn't just happen. You have to keep it up and you have to deal with it. Or if you don't, you have the results of that and, and uh, what happens when you don't do that. So I have a uh, really horrible story about this, actually. So the I, I, was <laughs> I was sort of r reminded of when I was much younger, not old like I am now, but the when I was a lot younger, the we had my some of my extended family had this had this land. It was a, a pretty good sort of sizable piece of land. Uh, and there was like this studio apartment that was kind of on the edge of, of the land and it wasn't really used a whole lot. Um, and they had, a, uh, they had someone that was staying in there for uh, quite a few years, uh, sort of renting it from some family of mine. And uh, they were ju it was just kind of a thing. They were always there. They, they lived there for years. It, it wasn't a, just, just kind of how it was. Well, I remember sort of hearing that, like, they had done some changes to it or whatever, that they had moved around because it was a two-bedroom uh, two, uh, two bedroom little apartment deal. And they were, uh, I'd heard just sort of, I guess, through, through conversation. It's like, oh, I think for some reason they're not in the master bedroom anymore. They've moved upstairs to sort of start using that other bedroom. I was like, hmm, okay. What, I, don't, I, don't, I don't care, but whatever. That's interesting. Um, so uh, it came time sort of a little while later that they moved out. And I remember being tasked, uh, my cousin and I were, were tasked with going in there and like, let's clean it out so we can kind of get it ready for the next renters and sort of the next set of folks that are going to in there. So I remember walking into that house, the little apartment, and immediately there's like just this junk everywhere and there's this smell that just like, you know, overwhelms you. And I was like, this is not good. This is not starting out great right now. Um, and so, and I remember vividly walking to the master bedroom and I opened the door and I saw trees. I saw the outside of the house. I saw there was this gaping hole in the roof that I could see the outside from there. So what, it, what ended up happening was there was a hole that obviously that, uh, that a leak that occurred in the ceiling. Um, they tried to put a tarp on it and the tarp didn't work. And so it gradually eroded the roof. And instead of fixing the problem, they moved to another part of the house. And so what they did was they quarantined the master bedroom and said, I'm just not going to use the master bedroom because it's broke. And so we're not going to go there anymore. That's a horrible story. And what ended up happening, as you might imagine, is that we ended up having to tear down the structure because at, at BT, you correct me if I'm wrong here, the exterior of a house is designed that way for a certain reason to keep the elements out. Once something gets inside, that's not good, right? It doesn't take a rocket scientist to realize that. So the, the, the structure was ruined from, 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 from them forward. And, you know, I, I'm kind of sort of numb to that story <laughs> now because it was when I was much younger. Um, but, I, but I remember thinking at the time, like, wh why? How does that happen, and how could someone do that? How, how, how is that actually something someone would do? Um, but 
you know, it's, it's, it's funny. Don't we really do the same thing with our hearts, if you think about it? Don't, don't we quarantine parts of our hearts or of our lives that we don't like, that we don't want to fix? Because it's just easier to do that. It's easier to just not talk to that person or go to that place or have that relationship because I don't want to fix it. But much like the structure, it was not intended to be that way. And when you quarantine the issue, doesn't fix the problem. And in fact, it just makes it worse and it ruins the rest of the structure. So we can quarantine parts of our lives that go against what God originally intended and instructed us to do. But the Bible makes multiple mentions of a hardened heart and a heart that's not healthy. And that's not what I want. I want a new heart. It says in, in Psalms 51, 10, it says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Another version uh, says a pure heart. Create in me a pure heart. And then it says in Matthew 5, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. So what that tells me is, in point A, he creates a clean heart in us. And in point B, when I'm called to give account of what I've done, if I have a pure heart, that's going to work out well in my favor, right? So in that middle, in that gap, that's where I screwed up. That's where I messed that up in, in, in between there. Um, and that's where I have the opportunity to intervene. So, you know, for us, that's why it's all about upkeep and it's all about maintaining the heart and keeping it healthy. You know, we're, I mentioned that to this house where we've been remodeling for the last 25 years. And the, you know, I'm, I'm, we're sort of, I was working on, uh, I was there sort of by my, uh, well, I didn't, it wasn't by myself. I had uh, Sophie helping me, but we were, uh, I was there one evening working on some, some trim in the kitchen, and uh, uh, Renee, you can put that first pickup. Yeah, so, that, so I was working on putting some, like, some base mold trim around the edge of the cabinet, and as you can see from the picture, there's like some really small, tight pieces that I had to cut, right? There was like a million of these things, and those things take forever to cut, and it's a, you cut it wrong, and you gotta cut a whole new piece, because you can't just trim it, because it's too small, and it's a, whole, it's a whole thing. So, so I was like, I'm just gonna, just to make it easy, I'm just gonna cut all these ahead of time, lay them all out, then I'm gonna come back, and I'll just nail them all in. And so, you know, I, I cut them all out. It took, took me a little while, but I had it all laid out. I, I, I turned around for like two seconds and grabbed the gun, and I come back, and my trim piece is gone. And I'm like, well, that's weird because I'm the only one here. So what would have happened to my trim piece? So you can put up that second pick. So what ended up happening to my, my trim piece was that Sophie thought that was a stick that she could play with, right? And so she, she ended up, uh, you know, taking that for, for her enjoyment. And... <laughs> I was, and I was laughing about it because I was literally like two seconds. I turned around and I, and I was gone. Um, and that happened. But, you know, I wonder sometimes if that's, you know, I was laughing when I was sort of working through this. I wonder if that's how God feels. He's like, I created this thing. It's perfect. It's designed for exactly what I need. I'm going to be right back. I'm going to be right back. Just, just keep it like it is. Maintain it. I'll be right back. And then he gets back and he's like, what happened? It was right here. I had everything you need. What happened? What, how did you mess that up, right? I think, I think he probably says that about me uh, quite, quite often. So it requires upkeep. Healthy heart requires upkeep. Number three, a healthy heart is connected. So a heart is not an organ that lives in isolation. And, you know, I, I, you know, we hear a lot about the heart, like I said. And so, you know, in my sort of nerdy brain, I had to sort of figure out, I was like, okay, how, how does this relate? And what, how does the heart relate to our other senses and to everything else that we do? And so I, and so I dug into scripture, right? And it says in Proverbs, my son, give me your heart and your eyes, and let your eyes delight in my ways, okay? So the heart's connected to the eyes, got that, okay? It says in Psalms 26, test me, Lord, try me, examine my heart and my mind, okay? So there's a relation between the mind and the heart, okay, I get that. 
It says in Psalms 24, the one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or a false god. Okay, so there's a connection between our hands and our heart. All right, got that. So it says in, also says in Psalms 19, may these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. So, okay, so the mouth and the heart are also, so the heart's not an isolated organ. It's connected to a lot of other organs and a lot of other things. I'm pretty astute. It didn't take me long to figure, to figure that out and that there's a direct cor correlation between those things. So because I'm a nerd and I had to figure this out, I'm like, okay, so how does it relate, though? Is, it, is the heart the center of everything? Is it the genesis of all that we do? Well, no, that doesn't, that doesn't seem quite right because we affect the things that come into our hearts. So that can't be the starting place. So, so I, you know, I, in sort of thinking through this and study on this, I, I don't know if this is the answer, but this is sort of my uh, thought to, to on, on sort of how it might work. Derek, thank you for your uh, work and sort of helping us put this graphic together. You can throw that, that graphic up there. Um, so it's the diagram of the, uh, of the body. So this is kind of awkward looking picture here is uh, sort of my thought on how I think the heart works. I'm not going to go through like a whole flow chart example of this. Um, but in the simplest terms, there are inputs that are important to our heart because they funnel things to our heart, right? Our eyes and, and, and the things we see and the things we take in, our ears, the things we listen to and, and also take in, and our thoughts, the things we think and the things we allow ourselves to think, because it is a choice. Those things come in and they filter down. They're the inputs to our heart. And then the outputs of our heart, that's even more important because that's how I make a difference and how I contribute. And so the output, that leads to my mouth and the things that I say and the words that I speak, it leads to my hands and the way I serve and the things that I do and leads to my feet, the places that I go and, and, where, I, and where I go. Does that make sense? Input to the heart, output to the heart. And I think I might have got this right, I think, because it says in Proverbs 4, it says, above all else, guard your heart, because we hear that all the time. But the second part of that says, for everything you do flows from it. If I do, if I speak, if I go, if I, if I, if I serve, that flows from my heart, and the heart is the hub of that. So we have to align our inputs with our outputs. If we want to serve, I have to make sure I have a heart that's healthy, and that's aligned with the rest of me. And we'll get into the habits a little bit later on how to do that and how to have a healthy heart, but, but the, just sort of a, a, a teaser, if you will, on that is the first thing, you can't put unnecessary stress or strain on your heart, and this mean, means being conscious of your input. So if I know that talking to that person generally leads to an argument, probably shouldn't do that, right? All right. If, I, if I've read a review on that book that suggests it's not really aligned to where God's taking me, I should factor that in. Or if, or if you know, that Netflix show promotes some things I'm not really comfortable with, help your heart out. Don't make it unnecessarily filter those things. You can still do it, and the heart can still evaluate that thing, those things, but why would you force it to filter and evaluate something that it doesn't need to do and put, a, and put unnecessary strain on it? And then the second thing, because stuff's always, it's going to get through, um, regardless of what you do. The second thing is keep it clean. Make sure your filter's working right. Because no matter how much you limit the inputs, stuff's going to get through and it's going to get to your heart. Uh, we, we, we had a little, uh, a quick trip to Miami a couple weeks ago, and I can tell you, just walking down the street to a restaurant, there's all kinds of inputs that's happening on that trip, right? And I'm just constantly like, baby, I love you so much right now. I just want to let you know that. Um, <laughs> so many times on that trip, I'm just, tell me where I'm going, because I'm just walking, I'm just going to follow you, you GPS it. <laughs> you got to continually work at it, right? It's not a, it's not a, it's not a set it and forget it kind of thing. In Psalms 139, it says, search me, God, know my heart, test me, know my anxious thoughts, T test my heart, 
know, know that my filter is working right and that it's filtering the things that it's supposed to do. Uh, attribute number four, a healthy heart is critical to serving. So let's look at this story in, in Matthew 19. Uh, someone came to Jesus with this question. Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Why ask me what is good? Jesus replied, there's only one who is good. Jesus, Jesus kind of got a little got a little attitude with him right here, right? He's like, why are you asking me this? There's only one who's good. But to go ahead and answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. And so he says, which one, the man asked. And Jesus, Jesus replied, you must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. falsely. Honor your father and your mother. Love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, I've obeyed all these commandments. The young man replied, what else must I do? Jesus told him, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. But says the young man heard this, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. So most of us are familiar with this, the story of the rich young ruler. And I think this is a great example of how important our heart is to serving. See, I heard, I heard a, a phrase recently that said, confrontation reveals the condition of your heart. And we kind of talked a little bit about that earlier. I, you know, I think that really holds true in this parable. He's essentially approaching Jesus, requesting to follow him. That's what he's saying, right? And in his mind, I really think he had all the boxes checked. He's like, I'm, I'm going to go ask Jesus, but I know the answer before Jesus responds because I've done all, all the things he asked me to do. I've, I've, I've kept the commandments. I've, I've, I've followed the study guide, and I'm ready to pass the test. And I think Jesus sized him up somewhere between verses 20 and 21. And, and, and he, you know, he said, yeah, Jesus, yeah, I already did all that stuff. What do I need to do? I think Jesus immediately recognized he's serving with his actions, but not with his heart. And so he offered him a way out just like he does for us. He said, you know, you, you, you can go, you, you still have a heart problem. You can go sell all that you have and give it to the poor, and then you'll be, you know, you'll, you'll be ready. And, he, and so the, the rich young ruler went away because he knew he wasn't willing to sell his possessions. He was basically saying, what I have is better than what you have, Jesus. What you're offering me is not as good as what I currently have right now. And we like to reference this story of <coughs> and talk about how much rich people have a hard time getting into heaven. You know, we talk about camels and eye needles and all that stuff. Um, but I, you know, I'm not saying that's not necessarily true. I just think we, we kind of take it a little bit out of context. It's not really talking about people with a lot of money. It's talking about people with a love of money. And those are, those are two different things. I think this is, you know, the, the rich young ruler didn't have an assets problem. He had a heart problem. And so for him, it was his possessions that were keeping him from having a healthy heart and being able to serve. And for some of us, it might, it might be as well. You know, you know, but I think we limit this parable if we limit it to just finances. We kind of we miss the point. You know, so, so let me say it a little bit differently. You know, if Jesus were here today and he were having that conversation with me or with you and he was, he was sizing us up, what would he tell us? He might, he might do the same thing. He might, you know, tell us, go sell all your possessions because that's what you need to do. Or he might say, go forgive the person who did you wrong that you harbor that grudge against. Or he might say, you know, you, you might ask you to give money to that business partner who messed you over in a shady business deal. Or he might ask you to go visit that family member who's sick but who's been horrible to you your entire life. It's, it's, so what the parable tells me that is it doesn't matter what you do to serve. It doesn't matter if you've, you know, taught a million Bible studies, if, you know, your consecutive streak of church attendance is, you know, uh, you know spot, spotless, if you've, you know, served meals and, and, and at a homeless shelter, if you've, you know, passed out water bottles to, you know, the, the folks sitting in 100-degree traffic out there, it, you know, what matters is the condition or the health of your heart, and, and, and why I serve is more important than how I serve. 
See, the rich young ruler thought he could do the right things with the wrong heart. And, and Jesus said, no way. That's not, that's not how it works. So there's some attributes of a healthy heart, and, those, and, and having a healthy heart is important. Um, but like I said, that gap is the important piece, right? How do we keep it clean? He creates a clean heart. How do we keep it clean? Um, that's where I think we can develop some godly habits to, to help us out with that. So, you know, ho- hopefully, we, you know, we've established the, the necessity of maintaining that heart. Um, keeping it healthy is a continual process. You know, just, just sort of to level set on, on sort of how we would do that and what a, what a, what a habit of a healthy heart would be. It's, it's not a behavior. So a behavior is something that we do, but a habit is something that we continually do. And I like the way Aristotle said it. He says, we are what we continually do. So habits, unlike behaviors, they're hard to break, especially bad ones, right? Anybody got some bad habits? I bite my nails. That's a really bad habit. That's a hard one to break. I've, I've, I've tried really hard. Mark Twain, when talking about bad habits, uh, he didn't really understand what the big deal was. He said, he said he had a bad habit of smoking, and he said, quitting smoking is the easiest thing I've ever done. I've done it hundreds of times. <laughs> and that... And that's kind of how it feels, right, when we talk about sort of breaking some of our habits. But, but, but luckily, much like bad habits, good habits are also hard to break. Like uh, those of you that don't floss, maybe you have, maybe you have some, uh, some help. Maybe brushing your teeth, hopefully, is a, a good habit. Um, maybe some of y'all, God's laying that on your heart right now uh, to, to go do that. Um, your habits create the condition of your heart. To have lasting change, you have to first change the heart. And you've probably heard that before, right? Healthy behaviors lead to healthy habits. Healthy habits lead to a healthy heart. Well, I like it phrased this way. We form habits, and then those habits form us. Because habits are critical to what God's shaping us to do. So it says in Psalms 119, I have inclined my heart to perform your statutes forever to the very end. I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. So I think these verses, I think they lay out a really nice blueprint for some healthy habits that we can develop to keep, it, to keep a healthy heart. So let's dig into that for the next couple minutes. The first habit is make hope a verb. We need hope. But hope alone is a motivator, not a strategy and not a habit. So said a little bit differently, hope will get you going, but it won't keep you going unless it's a verb, unless it's an action. So what I'm saying here is that we all have hope. We know that. Jesus is our hope, God's our hope, I, you know, that, but that's different from us actively hoping and, and making that an action. So it's not just something I have, it's something I do. It says in, 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 one, <coughs> in Psalms 114, I hope in your word. That's a verb, that's an action, I hope in that. It's saying, God, I put my hope in you and in your word because your word says that you're doing a work in me. You're putting that desire in me to do your work and giving me that power, right? So I'm not sitting back and expecting the worst. It's not, it's not an Eeyore hope, right? Any Winnie the Pooh fans in here? It's not a, well, you know, God, I hope that's going to work out. I just really hope that it's not going to be as bad as I hope it's going to be. No, it's an I hope. That's not the newest, like, Apple gadget. That's something I just made up. But it's, it's, it's a visionary hope. It's, it's your word says that my hope is in you, and that you're my strength, and you're my refuge, and that's where my hope is. It says, it says in Psalms 39, my hope is in you. But now, Lord, what do I look for? My hope is in you. <laughs> it says in Psalms uh, uh, 62, let all, that I, let all that I am waiting patiently before God quietly before God, not patiently, for my hope is in him. Our hope is in him. Our hope is him. And we know that. 
But how do we do that? How do we make our hope active? How do we make it a verb? To me, I think it starts at the beginning. Genesis 1-1, the first four words, in the beginning, God. It all starts with God. Before there was anything, there was God. And so I think before there's anything, there's got to be God. It's got, he's got to be first in all that we do. And we like to, we like to throw that phrase around. We like to, and, and primarily with tithing, right? He like, we want to, we want to give him the, the first fruits of that, but it's more than that, right? He wants the first fruits of everything that we do. He wants the first fruits of everything in my life to, to, to make him my hope and to actively hope. So, so what is it? The first fruits of, of our thoughts? What about the first fruits of our attention? What about the, the, the first of our relationships? Are we giving him the first and the most important thing of everything in our life? You know, we talk, we talk about budgeting all the time and sort of tithing and how, you know, we're planning out our budget for the, for, for the week or for the, uh, for the month. You know, hopefully it's sort of a like godly habit for that is to, is to set aside the, the money that's allocated and, and that God deserves before you do anything. Before any other spending, that spending first goes to God. Is it a radical thought today to say, what if we, at the beginning of the month, we sat down and we did a time budget? And we're budgeting out our time and where we're going to spend our time for the month. And what if we gave him the tithe of that? And we said, before I do anything else, before I schedule these, you know, parties or before I do these, these my work or my chores or, uh, you know, ha- housework, whatever it is, time, time with family, whatever it is, my first is going to go to God. That's, that's a radical thought, right? That's a radical thought. What if, what, what if we gave him the first of all that we do? But if we did, much like in tithing, it's, it's God math, right? We joke, we joke at work, uh, we have to do these like business cases uh, from time to time on projects that we want to move through it, uh, the company. And anytime marketing, the marketing group, and I'm a recovering marketer, so I can say this, but the, anytime marketing submits a project, we always joke about marketing math because they're like, oh, it's going to be like $20 million uh, in, in savings, right? It's, uh, they, they always sort of multiply whatever the number is, and we call it marketing math. Well, I think similarly, God math is a thing. And so even though on paper it doesn't make sense that if I give him this 10%, he's going to multiply it and, and sort of make it further, I think, I think God math is a thing, and I think it works. And I think if I acknowledge him in all my ways, all my ways, he'll overflow my heart and he'll multiply that. Okay, second habit. We have to learn to hate. I know, I'm in church. I'm not supposed to talk about hate, but the Bible said it first, so I think I'm good. Uh, it said in, it said in the, the verse, the scripture we were, ro- we were going through, I hate the double-minded. Hate is the hardest emotion to change, even more so than love. Does anybody hate? Do you, does anybody hate? Because I do. I hate. I hate Indian food. I hate exercise. I hate traffic. And it's going to be really hard for you to try to convince me to not hate those things. On the other hand, I love red velvet buntlets from nothing but cakes. I love those. I, I love them. Mm. I said plural, buntlets, plural, more than one. It's got the chocolate chips and the icing mixed into the cake. It's got that white icing, cream cheese on the top. I'm convinced that's what heaven's going to be like. It's, it's delicious. But what I hate is that it contributes to my obese level one status. <laughs> I hate that. So, so you don't understand that Cake tastes really, really good, but until I start to hate what it does to me more than I love the taste of it, I'm never going to change my behavior. So, you know, I believe it's appropriate to have a healthy level of hate. So for me, I'm, 
I just because I'm being transparent, I'm negative Nate. I, I, I love to point out negativity in a situation and to be sarcastic. That's built and in, in, in sort of, that's built within me. And if I'm honest, if I'm honest, there's something in me that personally feels really good when I do that. When I point out, point out something negative, that feels good deep down, if, I, if I'm being honest. But if I'm being even more honest, afterwards, once I have some time to reflect on that, I hate what it makes me feel like. I hate that it puts others around me down. I didn't expect to get emotional. That's crazy. It's a love-hate relationship, right? If I'm honest, I hate what that does to me. And I'm not perfect. I'm still working at that. But I've recognized a habit that I need to change. And I need to develop a hatred, a hatred of negative talk and negativity. So I don't know what it is for you. Maybe, maybe it's not negativity for you. Maybe it's gossip. Maybe it's talking about that. Per- I mean, we, we, you know, we want to we lump like gossip and bullying and this stuff like in the, these like teenage age years. We do the same stuff. It's just, it just looks a little bit differently for us. Um, so until we develop a healthy hate of those things, gossip, bullying, maybe it's indecision, procrastination. What do you need to develop a healthy hatred of? Or let's get deeper. Let's, let, let's look a little more outward. Maybe it's poverty. Maybe it's racism. Maybe it's lost souls in our community. What do we have to develop a healthy hatred of? How do we, what do we have to do to hate that thing so bad that it's going to push us back or, or push us to, to actively change that thing and to change that behavior? He wants to create a clean heart in us, and that means developing a little bit of hate, even though that sounds counterintuitive. All right, I know I'm out of time, so I'll quickly roll through these last two. Know where to hide and seek is the third habit. So trials and storms come our way. It's part of life, and it's really easy for the mud and the muck from those storms to get on your heart. So what do we do when troubles come? We hide, right? And we don't admit it, we don't admit it but we do. Not physically, but emotionally. So what's your hiding place? Is it blame? Do you blame others whenever storms come? Do you, do, you, do you isolate? Do you go to the internet? Do you, is it anger? Is it low expectations? Sometimes, sometimes by hiding and lowering our expectations, we're not disappointed the next time. So that's, that's how we hide. So is it fear? Is it feeling sorry for yourself? The question isn't whether or not we hide. The question is where do we hide? It says in Psalms 46, God is our refuge and our strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not fear when earthquakes come, when mountains crumble into the sea, let oceans roar and foam. Let the mountains tremble at th- and the waters surge. So what do we do? We hide. We hide in God. God is our protection. He's our refuge. But catch this point. God can't protect you from the thing you're running to. So if you're trying to hide, if you're running to the relationship or the problem or whatever that thing is, he can't protect you from that and he can't hide you from that. We have to seek I know it sounds old-fashioned, but we have to pray about it. Believe it or not, that works amazingly well. We should, we should, uh, we should try that more often. Um, and lastly, talk about it. Don't, don't face the storms alone. Find someone to help you through it, and, and preferably someone who's already been there. And that's all about creating the right relationships in our lives. Okay, the fourth habit is really just sort of a recap. Guard your heart. Simply said, you've got two shots at this, like I said before. Stop something before it gets in, or ensure that the heart is healthy and aligned with God's purpose for us to evaluate and filter it out. Use your head before you use your heart because you control what you allow into your heart. Choose your thoughts. We've had multiple lessons on this. I'd go back and let me use this as a time to go back and encourage you to listen to our next podcasts uh, on, that are archived. 
Um, because what we think determines how we feel. Take your thoughts captive and make them obedient. Divert your eyes and turn your eyes away from, it says in Psalms 119, turn your eyes away from worthless things and preserve my life according to your word. Your eyes, your ears, your thoughts, they are all inputs into your heart. Examine it. Examine your heart. All right, I'm done. Let's wrap. Let's, I'm, I'm done and I'm over time. So let's, uh, let's, let's, let's wrap this up in prayer and then I'll let you go. God, your word says you're working in us. It says you're giving us the desire and the power to do your will. You told us that. And God, I pray that you keep working in us and keep doing what you're doing in us to help us examine the thoughts and intents that we have examine our hearts. God, you've done your part. You've created a clean heart in us. God, help us to, to take it the rest of the way. Help us to, to clean that up. Help us to realize that a healthy heart, it's vital to the things that you want to do in our lives. Help us to realize that we have to keep it clean and keep it how you made it. And, and help us to understand that when we serve and how we serve means nothing if it doesn't first come from you and how you shaped and designed our heart. I pray that you, you, you give us some healthy habits to be able to do this and to keep us aligned to your word. I thank you for it. I ask you to go with us this morning. In Jesus' name.